0: where i'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous US China relationship find face off wherever you get your podcasts
1: hi i'm david
2: and this is john and we're the debt free guys
1: and you're listening to the earn and invest podcast
0: i can still remember the smell of marijuana we were teenagers Standing in a circle, and the joint was going from person to person to person. Even when it got to the point where it was so low, someone would pull out a tweezers. I think they used to call it a roach clip so they could get the last bit of marijuana out of the rolling papers. And every time it would come to me, and everyone would look up expectantly and then laugh because they all knew that I didn't smoke. And this is just one example of how I didn't fit in. While the rest of my friends and community were doing drugs, I was often abstaining. While they were staying out late on Saturday night, I was at home in bed getting ready to study Sunday morning. And when they all dropped out of high school and got marginal jobs, I was going to college and then medical school. And it really begs the question, what do you do when you stop fitting in? What do you do when your community is all about partying and you like to stay home? When there is a fear of missing out and a rallying cry to only live once, and yet you're dreaming about the future. When there is a tendency to live paycheck to paycheck and you are paying off debt and saving and investing. What do you do when you no longer fit into your community? What do you do then? And speaking of fitting in, you know where you can go to feel like you fit in 24-7? Well, that's the Earn and Invest Facebook group found at facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest. We continue the conversation on the Facebook group that is started in the podcast. We talk of finances. We talk about the economic situation in the United States. We sometimes touch on politics. Any topic is open game. It's really a place where we as a community can come together and have a rational, intelligent, open conversation. I'd love to see you there at the Facebook group, Earn and Invest. That's facebook.com slash group slash earn and invest. Become a part of the conversation. We'd love to see you there. David Auden and John Schneider are husbands who help other gay men live amazing lives without sacrificing their financial security. With their website, The Debt-Free Guys, and their Queer Money Podcast, they help you be fabulous, not fabulously broke. John and David, welcome to the show.
1: It's great and to be here having us We're excited. <laughs> it's a great story.
0: <laughs> I am so excited to have you on the show. And before we even get started, I have to say this has been a really strange year with the pandemic and working remotely. And I have to admit, I have quite a bit of election anxiety coming up. This is the 30th of October right now. The presidential elections are early next week. How are you guys hanging in there in this strange year? Oh, geez. You know, I think it's probably
2: like a lot of people. I think we have been really high and we've been really low. You know, we came back to the United States after spending three months uh, in Spain and a week in Paris, right when the borders were closing and the pandemic was settling in and chaos was starting. And we were supposed to come pretty much immediately from Paris to Las Vegas and that got thwarted. So we got found ourselves stuck in in Pennsylvania and our business dried up Uh, 60% of our income is typically brand partnerships and public speaking. And that was just so slowly starting to siphon away and siphon away. And we're having the, you know, that guttural feeling that people have their heart dropping and like, how are you going to make ends meet and all that stuff. But then we've had some great highs too. I mean, we, we finally made it to Vegas and some other wins that we've had this year. So it's been kind of all over the board. And I think Like a lot of people right now, I think that once this election's over, maybe we can start to get back to some version of normalcy and and quiet.
1: (laughs) I, I will agree with John. John and I, I think early in the year, knew how we were going to vote. And because of that, we took the opportunity to try to avoid as much as possible Things that would cause us to have some sort of additional anxiety around this, we, we stopped pretty much watching news. We watch a, ha- a half an hour, well, it's actually 22 minutes because there are no commercials in it because it's been condensed down. We, we watch a, a 22 minute national news segment probably three to four times a week just to stay current with what's going on. We've avoided some of our social media just because we're we're tired of hearing the, the vitriol anger that people have towards each other, and that just affects our mental health. And we think that politics in this country has become toxic, and that's just one of the many things that is weighing on our, our mental health this year. So we've tried to do as much as we can to try to stay positive and in the best space that we can. And oftentimes that means that we need to just spend alone time together.
0: (laughs) Speaking about staying positive, certainly a lot of us have turned from politics and looked very closely at our businesses. Let's talk about yours The blog is Debt Free Guys, and the byline is Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke. David, tell me a little bit about how you came up with that byline and the importance of fabulousness to your message.
1: When John and I came to the realization that we had $51,000 in credit card debt between the two of us, we're living in a basement apartment, both working in financial services telling other people that they should be setting aside money for their future, whether that's retirement or to buy a home, emergency savings, whatever the case is, we were often encouraging folks to do stuff with their money that we weren't doing ourselves. And during the discovery process of why we got ourselves into that situation, we realized that we were part of a community where we saw a lot of people doing exactly what we were doing. And that was spending all of the money that we made, living a lifestyle to feel really good. And oftentimes, the feeling really good part comes to in the, in the gay for gay men especially. I think, but I think in general, there's a lot of folks who feel this way on, on a lot of communities. That the way to feel good quickly is to be able to show to other people that you have an amazing life and. Buying stuff, whether it's homes, cars, clothes, vacations, whatever you can take a picture of and post it on Instagram or Facebook, showing people you live a fabulous life is a great way to have a momentary boost in your self-confidence, but there is a huge hangover from it. And that's when we started realizing that we were trying to live a fabulous life by everyone else's expectations, not our own expectations. And that fabulous life was making us fabulously broke. We saw so many people in our community that were living a lifestyle very similar to ours and just not making the money to be able to live that kind of lifestyle. That's why we said, well, you can live fabulously, not fabulously broke when you decide to focus your your mental and financial energies towards what makes you truly feel fabulous long-term, not what everyone else expects you to do to to feel fabulous.
0: John, David talks a little bit about this duality of life you are living, right? This living on the outside fabulously and yet coming home to a basement apartment and having bank accounts that weren't really in congruence with your lifestyle. But before you paid off the debt, there were certain parts of that life that really were fabulous, right? I saw you mentioned a trip to Vegas to see Madonna. I mean, you guys in some ways were really living it up, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was definitely fun going through it at times. You know, you would we would, you know, come to Vegas to see Madonna or we'd go to on vacation somewhere to Mexico or to Australia. And it was all wonderful. But then there was always that hangover after the fact. So we'd get home either after vacation, you know, before the end of the month, the bill comes and you're sort of, oh man, I shouldn't have, we shouldn't have done that. We really didn't have the money to do that. Or we went way beyond the budget that we had estimated that we would need for that particular trip. So we did have that duality, but I don't think it's a whole lot different than 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 many ad- addictions and very often the, the reason that people have various addictions, whether it's drugs, alcohol eating, it's because they're trying to it's it's the manifestation of something else they haven't yet addressed and we often have that if we drink too much the next day we have that hangover if you know we're a drug addict we, we kind of have a hangover at some point. Well, the same thing goes with with spending, but very often with spending it's almost like it's an accepted addiction in our culture because the more stuff you have the more showy displays of your uh means of wealth the the, the more successful you must be and 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 we just idolize success in the in, in the in the most perverted sense of the term which is probably why we're in the state we are in this country politically <laughs> and so we were feeling that duality and it wasn't until it got to a point that something was going to snap it wasn't going to be able to continue any longer, and that we finally started to address that. And part of that message, live fabulously, not fabulously broke. The reason we, we chose that as our tagline was that to let people know that you don't have to wait until it's about ready to snap. You don't have to wait until you're going to get a divorce, or you have, you're going to foreclose on your house, or they're going to repossess your car. You can, once you realize what's most important to you, and you start aligning your life and your spending with what's most important to you and not to me, right? Whether anybody else expects of you, then you can, can can start to live that fabulous life that David was talking about.
0: David, looking back with the vision of 2020, were you guys happy back then before you paid off the debt?
1: So it's very interesting you ask that question because John and I, the, one of the first things we did when we realized or came to the conclusion that we were drowning financially with all this debt was we did a spending analysis and looked at, I looked at every single penny that we spent in that year up leading up to that, going back 12 months. And if you had asked us during that time period, the year before we were we, we had paid off the debt. We probably would have said our lives were okay. We didn't feel amazing. We did some nice things from time to time. But then when I looked at what we were spending our money on, I was like, you would think that we had the most amazing lives. <laughs> the, the amount of money we were spending on vacations, on clothing, on happy hours, on fine dining on expensive food from Whole Foods, just every aspect of our lives, we were living in an excessive way. But, you know, it's kind of like, I, I think back to when, when, when I was a kid, my family used to go out to dinner once a week, and that was it, right? And it was always a treat. It was always something special as, uh, for us as a family. But today, families go out to eat three, four, five times a week. It's become so mundane. It's no longer something special, and that is exactly what is hap- what happened with us. Is we got to this point that our lives became so our, our excessive spending became so calloused. It was so mundane for us. We didn't feel like we were having that fabulous of a life. But clearly, our spending was telling us that. I think today in 2020, I I think what's interesting with the pandemic is I think a lot of people are, are not spending money in ways that they used to spend money. And they're starting to realize that some of that spending was maybe propping up a life or making them feel a certain way that didn't last. And so we're kind of, I think, in a fortunate situation that many of us, are now taking a look back at where we have been spending our money over the last year, maybe not doing a detailed spending analysis, but this could be the opportunity for more folks to actually have that realization. Where am I spending my money and is it contributing to my long-term happiness?
0: John, David talks about this idea that the pandemic is opening people's eyes. But if we talk about traditional addictions, usually you have to reach rock bottom in order to have that epiphany. You guys talk about feeling okay and then doing the detailed budget analysis, but there's obviously something that turned you from going on with that life to all of a sudden saying, okay, things need to change. I'm going to quote your blog here. You say, after spending the weekend in the mountains and looking at property to build a vacation home, we realized we could barely afford to spend a weekend there, let alone buy land and build a vacation home. Tell me about that rock bottom moment. Yeah.
2: So we had uh, just wrapped up a weekend in Winter Park, Colorado, which is a small ski resort town, usually for locals, but it's become more popular now for tourists as well. A friend of mine from college was living up there with his girlfriend. We went up there to visit him and we had been up there several times before and had great time. But this particular weekend, we had an especially fabulous time. And we thought, you know, we should buy land here and build a house. David wants to build a modern home. We would love to live up here and this would be a great place for us to invite our friends and family to come with us. Or even when we weren't using it, we could loan it out to friends and everybody would just be so happy and we'd be able to put in our hundred days of skiing a year, which is a Colorado goal. Mm-hmm. And we were driving down after we had stopped at the real estate agent's office, we were driving back down to Denver and we were, as David says, we were locked in a car for about an hour, hour and a half, going sixty-five miles an hour. So there really wasn't, as we were having this discussion about how we were gonna be, you know, make this happen, how are we were gonna finance this, the conversation just devolved from this, you know, high of everything's gonna be so amazing for us to we, we can't, you know, we 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 got to our condo or apartment in Denver, we shut the doors, grabbed our bags and walked down a flight of steps into a basement apartment. And by that point, we had had the discussion of how much debt he has, the how much debt I have to combine fifty one thousand dollars, and so we were literally and figuratively living in a hole. And we that was sort of that was the rock bottom moment for us. And but that that realization that that we weren't as fabulous as we thought we were, I think that was sort of the, the 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 catalyst for us to say. What are, what are we doing? Why are we struggling? Why are so many of our friends having children and building houses and we're living in a basement apartment? Why are they acquiring and amassing all this stuff? And it kind of feels like, even though we're, doing, we're spending a lot of money on credit cards, it does feel like we're kind of be feeling more suffocated. And you know that, that, was, that was the rock bottom moment. And then we started to have the discussion of why is our life going in this direction? What is it we really want? What are we doing wrong? And how do we fix it? And that was actually a conversation that took uh, place for about three or four months until we realized what it is that we truly wanted. The spending analysis was sort of a, a mirror in our face saying, this is all the things that you're doing wrong. And then you know, we had that discussion of what could we do? What would be right for us? And that was when we realized all the things we weren't we were doing weren't really actually fueling our soul they weren't giving us that long-term happiness that David was talking about they were just adding more stress to our lives and it turned out we we wanted things much more differently than what we were actually doing
0: David let's talk about what John was just referencing this why are we not at the place that other people are and I'll say I love the fact that you guys have made the word fabulous such a part of your brand because in a sense I think the way you used to use the word was actually constraining. It was pushing you to be something that maybe wasn't good for you. And now you've taken control of the word and made it something positive. So let's talk about those whys a little bit. What were the expectations you guys felt as a gay couple coming out of the 90s and 2000s? Like, how did that affect your feeling about money and how you used it?
1: Sure. So, both John and I were raised in, in very conservative religious households. So that, I think, was a, a bit of the foundation point. Our, f- our family nucleus told us we were not okay because we were gay. You know, inside, we knew we were gay. And our family, maybe not directly, but indirectly, because we weren't out, was telling us being gay is not okay. Our churches were telling us that our media was telling us that, our politicians were telling us that, our peers were telling us that, our schools were telling us that. Over and over and over again, we were being told, you're not okay, you're a bad person, because you're a gay man. And that was, I think, the beginning of it. As we both got to the point where we got out of high school went to college. I went to college much later, but John went to college right away after high school. We started to maybe start to feel a little bit comfortable in our own skin, right? And we decided that we would come out. And I lost my family when I came out. And when I was 26, my family does not speak to me. John's family has been a little bit more accepting, but still would prefer that he would bring home a girl. A lady friend. (laughs) But we moved basically from family situation or a friend situation of not being accepted into another community. And that's the gay community. And there, there, all of a sudden we were surrounded by a bunch of men, especially, but a bunch of people who had the same experience that we had. You're not a good person because you're gay and we're trying to fit into this gay community. Right. And the, the easiest way in America and also even more so within the gay community, is to show people that you're a great person. And you want acceptance. Every single one of us wants acceptance. And I think it was the best way to show everyone that we were great people was to show that we were really successful. Everyone wants to be the friend of the successful person, right? And the easiest way to show people you're successful in America is to use your credit card to buy lots of stuff to impress people that you don't know you necessarily want to be friends with, right? You're just trying to impress people so that you'll get gain that acceptance. And that's exactly what we did. And John and I think back to kind of how maybe some of this started in the gay community. Is during the AIDS epidemic, a lot of gay men were having a very carpe diem lifestyle, right? They they expected that they would die in their late 30s, early 40s, maybe even maybe make it to their 50s. So they were living excessive lives, they were spending all of the money that they had, they were really living it up, because they thought that they were going to die. And that for whatever reason, our community has hung on to that feeling. And so gay men, especially, we live a very carpe diem life. And really, have this fabulous, I need to be fabulous. Whether you're, it's in with your job, it's the way you dress, being a drag queen, the what you post on Instagram and Facebook. You're, we are constantly trying to impress other people, all seeking that acceptance that many of us didn't have growing up.
0: I did an interview with Travis Shakespeare about the financial independence movement and the LGBTQ community. And we did a bit of talking about this idea that he expressed that it's almost as if sometimes the maturation process is inhibited once you come out, especially as a gay male, that there's something so traumatic about the process that it almost freezes you at that age. And therefore, as you face adulthood, you sometimes face it as a teenage boy would. And what you're saying reminds me of that a little bit, this idea of the consequences are somewhere far away, and right now I have to worry about right here, right now, and today.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point that you made. David and I have often talked about, maybe it's not so prevalent today because there's more acceptance today, but we did feel like we, we didn't have the same Life and maturation experiences uh, growing up that our straight friends had. And, you know, most people start having their first boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, their uh, opposite sex partner, you know, when they're, they're 15 or 16 and, you know, they had their first kiss and possibly, you know, have intercourse or whatever. And they have several, you know, three or four boyfriends or, or partners before they actually get married. And you get married in your 20s and 30s. Well, we only met each other in our thirties. We only came out, he only came out at 26. I only came out at the age of, I guess technically it was, I was in 30 years old. So we didn't have the, we didn't have that sort of puppy love phase that we went through with a couple people first. We didn't have all that courting and dating through high school and uh, college. So we were just starting this, this having these experiences when we were actually grown adults working in, you know, and earning uh, decent money. And so we kind of, a lot of making up to do. And a lot of that making up was you know, incorporated spending money that we didn't necessarily have. And I think that really parallels to what you were saying earlier.
0: David, did you feel that acutely when you did finally look at your finances? You're like, wow, I am just way behind what maybe the non-gay couples were going through that you were socializing with?
1: Uh, Absolutely. John and I had, uh, that was part of the, I think the conversation that we were having is John had, more so than me, had a number of straight friends who had were in this situation where they were either buying homes and get it or getting married or having kids. That all that was happening in their lives. And we were seeing these kind of changes that were going on in their lives. And we're like, why are we living in a basement apartment driving two mediocre cars? Actually, mine wasn't a mediocre car. Mine was a pretty crappy (laughs) car. (laughs) This is Peter. (laughs) But at the same time, we we were making decent money. We weren't making great money, but we were making decent money. And we should have been much further ahead if you were to compare us with our straight peers in where our financial lives were going. At least the, those those appearances of things like starting a family, buying your first home, buying your second home, or uh, you moving up to a home for a family, those kinds of things just were was not in our purview. Our what we were looking at was where's the next fabulous vacation? What's the next great pair of jeans or T-shirt I can buy? Where am I going for happy hour this weekend? That was what our financial lives were looking like.
0: So, John, you guys get to the point where you have this epiphany. You start looking at your finances. You maybe even see that your non gay friends are ahead financially because they're doing some of this planning that you guys hadn't got to yet. On the other hand, you still have to deal with your community that you grew up with, that you're currently socializing with. On the blog, you write, Even though we eventually found our community, we had limiting beliefs and thought we had to prove ourselves worthy to them. So we spent and lived like the A-list gays. They had new clothes. We had new clothes. They had new phones. We had new phones. They went on amazing vacations. We went on amazing vacations. This idea of keeping up with the Joneses is so prevalent. When your mindset changed, was there a fear that you wouldn't fit into your community anymore?
2: There definitely was a fear that we wouldn't necessarily fit in anymore, but David and I made the bold move of sort of having this grand announcement that <laughs> we couldn't continue living the way that we've been. And we really came out of the closet about our finances with all of our friends pretty quickly. And we, we told them, this is our situation. We're not going to be able to continue to, to, to live the lifestyle that, that we've been living. We want to stay in contact with you but we have to make some some changes. And what was interesting was that there were other friends of ours who maybe weren't necessarily in the same financial condition that we were in, but they also had other goals that maybe reining in their spending would 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 be a little bit wise for them as well. And so some people kind of tagged along with us wholeheartedly. Some people tagged along with us a little bit and some of our relationships kind of just naturally organically separated. But I think at that point when we when we kind of got through the the rock bottom moment and we realized what it is that we truly wanted and we realized that there is an actual path to getting there i think for us we weren't we weren't so fearful that we were going to be too ostracized by our community from that particular change alone i think we were pretty confident with the direction that we wanted to go with things and some of our best friends stuck with us and then some of our friends were now just friends on Facebook. And that's kind of been, I think, okay.
0: David, John used the term coming out of the closet about our finances. And I've heard other gay people say that when they're talking about finances or even something like financial independence, that it almost felt like a similar process. Do you relate to that? Did it feel like you were coming out of the closet again?
1: Absolutely. I think that there is such a heavy weight that people have on themselves today because of their financial situations. And John and I agree that there are some folks who are in their financial situations that they have had no, really much no, no control over how they got into that financial situation. But we believe that the vast majority of people do this to themselves, right? We, we hide our financial situation and, and we actually compound and make it worse, but it's that hiding it. It's the taboo of talking about your finances. I mean, there are couples who have been married for decades that still have separate finances and do not talk to each other about their finances because they're embarrassed. The person you should be trusting the most in your life, you're still embarrassed and won't tell them about your true financial situation. That's why we talk about this whole idea of coming out of the closet because it is freeing It can be so freeing when you especially recognize or address it yourself to yourself first, that this is where you're at financially and not where you want to be. And then you start sharing it with others. And we believe two things really happen when you start sharing your financial situation with others. One, other people resonate with that because either they've been there, are there, or want to help you. And then the other thing is you, you start to find that more people in you in your circle start to share information about where they're at financially too. And that sharing, you share your wins and your challenges is one of the best ways to strengthen yourself and your resolve to move forward.
0: In the first half of the show, John and David from the Debt Free Guys talked about how they realized that they didn't have their finances in order. After the break, we discuss how this affected how they fit into their community. But first... You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later Have you taken a moment to check out the earn and invest website? That's earnandinvest.com. There you can find all of our episodes as well as blog posts and extra video content. Pretty much everything earn and invest is right there at earnandinvest.com. Check us out. We hope to see you both there and at our Facebook group page and become part of our community. So, John, gay couples and gay individuals have now been sharing their financials with you in this sense as part of your platform. Are the lives of gay couples significantly different than straight couples? I mean, I've heard you ties talk about this idea of separate bank accounts, etc. And I could see how that specifically would be a sticking issue. But are we really looking at uniform problems or does the gay community have some specific issues that are different?
2: No, I think there's a lot of parallels between our community and other demographics. I think, to our point earlier, I think one of the biggest challenges that our community has, and it weighs on us heavily, is that feeling of that lack of self-worth because of where we came from and the journeys that many of us have, have been on. And I think the other challenge that our community has is that we haven't really been having this conversation. This is a relatively new conversation for our community. And I, and I think that's in part because it wasn't until 2015 that we had marriage equality, and I don't think anybody really thought about put that into context from a financial perspective. But when when you're when no institutions will recognize your relationship, then you don't necessarily look at your relationship necessarily the same as. The rest of the your, the rest of the country, you kind of look at your relationship a little bit differently. And so, because I can't actually get married because we're not necessarily able to be together for life, because at some point we might be forced to separate, I don't necessarily want to share my my financial situation with you. You know, things might not necessarily be that long term that I want to c- kind of merge things together. But it wasn't until 2015 that we had marriage equality, and it. And of course there are exceptions to what I just described there, but in 2015, we had marriage equality and all of a sudden there was this validation. And then all of a sudden we could, oh, okay. you know, We could actually be like a married couple. We didn't actually think that was actually going to happen in our lifetime. So what do married couples do? Well, they merge their finances together and they start doing all, ticking all these boxes. And so we, I think that was a great catalyst for us to start having that conversation. But at that point, nobody knew how to start the conversation and nobody I think even knew to start the conversation I mean financial services alone did a great disadvantage to the LGBTq community after marriage equality because they all celebrated marriage equality but nobody in financial services said okay now this is how you this is how you actually marry your finances and so that's that's kind of a, a role that or a, an avenue that David and I are trying to help fill
1: yeah I'll also add to this two things a lot of times we get this, comment well I'm not one of the I'm not that kind of gay right so people will say that to us our lives were excessive in some in many ways because we were trying to live up to this a lister gay but comparing it to comparing our lives to lots of others in the LGBT community there are there are couple, gay couples who have children that are going broke because they are trying to portray to ever all their straight friends that I'm the best gay parent. I have the most fabulous birthday parties. I send the most fabulous gifts to birthday parties with my kids. My kids are dressed to the nines, right? They've, they've almost transferred this fabulousness down to their children. There's lesbians who are gro- going broke because they are trying to make sure that they eat all of the right food that their community tells them that they need to have they're trying to drive the right car they're trying to take care of all of the animals right there's this kind of perception in some lesbian circles that you're not a you're not a good lesbian unless you have six cats and seven dogs and you know you're you're giving 75% of your income away to all these these different charities and that's driving some people some of the people in, in that community broke i'll, I'll also add that John's mentioned this whole idea of the financial services community and them not uh, being there right after marriage equality, but the reality is is that the LGBT community we have not had the the legacy examples of what it's like. Right, we don't have the the 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old couples, that this is what gay retirement, lesbian retirement, queer retirement looks like. And there has, from what I can tell, (laughs) there has never been a retirement ad that shows a same-sex couple walking down the beach with their golden retriever going off into the sunset, right? It's always the straight white couple walking down the beach, right? Even today... Every once in a while, you'll see maybe that it's a mixed race couple. But even today, some of the major firms are, that are out there, their pictorial example of what retirement looks like is something that our community does not resonate with. So why would we concern ourselves about our financial future if that doesn't, if I'm, I don't see myself in that picture, right? And so that I think that's part of the reason why we still feel like there's this lagging effect on the community when it comes to progress financially. But we are really excited because John and I are seeing that start to change. There's more people in our community starting to talk about their finances and about how they can have a fabulous financial future.
0: What I love about what you guys do is you will end up being the model. So You said there is no model of people in their 60s and 70s it's just a matter of time because you guys are forming the communities of people who are thinking about these things and generations from now, people will be able to look up to your example and have a pathway, which I think is very, very exciting. John, you talked about the legal hurdles to gay people's financial lives. And then David talked about the social expectations. We haven't really mentioned the workplace much. And you guys have described something called cascading homophobia. What is that and how does it affect you in the workplace?
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, I think it's not just the workplace, but it's a great example, is that very often low-level managers, middle-level managers, maybe even some person at a director level, might be inclined to do something that would support the LGBTQ community. You know, for example, we had our careers in financial services and we advocated strongly to try to have the firm that we work for incorporate LGBTQ couples and individuals in their marketing and collateral. And you could go to the marketing manager and their team and they they'd be all on board with this. They get very excited about it. But then, over time, as discussions went up the ladder, eventually it was squashed, and we sort of started to realize this when we were in financial services. We've also realized it in our own work with some brand partnerships, where there will be at a certain level there will be this support, but then the support will stop. And we we've realized that it's easier to say no to us than it is to explain to somebody higher above at an EVP or a, a AVP level, why you decided to move forward with the project or why you decided to include a particular advertising or collateral that you did. And so there's sort of this cascading homophobia because by and large, especially in financial services, it's not to stereotype everybody, but it's still being run by straight white men who haven't had the same experiences that a lot of us have had. And it's just easier to not even present them with that sort of an opportunity and just easier to say no to us.
0: It reminds me of a conversation that I have a lot, especially with other white men. It's when we look at the laws and we look at people of color or LGBTQ or even women, we say things have changed. The laws are better. And then we kind of give ourselves a pass at being cognizant of what actually is happening in our homes and our societies and our workplaces. And we actually need to go back and say, okay, the laws have changed, but is behavior changing? Are we keeping ourselves to the standards that that those laws engender? And even more importantly, are we realizing that you can give someone rights immediately, but that doesn't mean that you've actually given them the equity to take advantage of those rights.
2: Yeah, exactly, and I think marriage equality in 2015 is a great example of that. And I think the LGBTQ community made the same mistake. We have marriage equality, everything is equal, everything is the same. And it didn't take us um, very long to realize, oh, okay, That was just the passing of a law. There's all sorts of downstream impacts that have not yet been affected or been realized that we need to work on. And I think that's a mistake that our community made, as well as financial services, when it comes to money, is we just thought, okay, everything's equal, everybody get married and, and you're on the path to retirement, but that's not exactly how it worked. I'll
1: also add, it's kind of interesting. John and I just voted here in the state of Nevada. It's 2020 five years after marriage equality was passed at a national level. And there was a ballot initiative to change at the state level here in Nevada that marriage is not defined as between a man and a woman. So there's still laws out there that are maybe at a state level having a very negative effect or a, a diminishing effect on various communities, not just the LGBT community. And that's why there is this constant need for checking where we're at. And like you said, making sure that although the laws have passed, are we actually on the path to equality?
0: So John, at the beginning of this episode, I told the story and asked the question, what do you do when you no longer fit into your community? And what I hear from you guys is that you educate and build and uplift your community. And that's what it seems like you're definitely doing. And so the outlook appears fairly optimistic for other people in your situation that they will now have role models and tools to build good financial lives. Has the COVID pandemic changed anything? Has it hit the gay community any differently than anyone else?
2: Yeah, I, do. I definitely think there have been some detrimental consequences to the, to the pandemic. We haven't been able to, we've seen the statistic several times over the course of running Debt Free Guys and the Queer Money Podcast. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to su- suggests that it's at least directionally correct. But nearly 60% of LGBTQ people are, work in either uh, service or in retail. And those were the, the industries that got probably the most adversely hit by the pandemic. When you add to the fact that for many LGBTQ people, they're not necessarily on the same financial, haven't necessarily made the same financial progress. So they have uh, smaller emergency savings accounts. If they have any emergency savings accounts at all, they don't have as much retirement saved up if they have any retirement saved at all. So it's made all that a little bit more precarious. So I think it has had a detrimental, in fact, more detrimental in, impact on the LGBTQ community, but I think that's, we see parallels of that, you know, in with people of color. all all sorts of marginalized communities. So I don't think it's just LGBTQ people, but from the people that we work with and talk with, it has affected them quite hard.
0: So David, last thoughts. Many of us here, especially when it comes to personal finances, have found that our unique opinions, our wish to save and invest and be savvy, does put us at odds with our community. What should we do? How do we Gel this new interest with being true to our communities and not losing friends and family.
1: Well, I think that you, you mentioned earlier about this idea of possibly us being the the example, John and I being the example. I think that that is probably the, the 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 most important thing is that you need to live your life true to who you are, and if you're living your life true to who you are, means that you. Are getting on the right track financially. That is, it's just a, it's such a, um, a motivating thing when other people see that you're starting to feel better. You smile more. You have less stress. Your your confidence level goes up. All of that starts to happen. It starts to have a ripple effect on people around you, and especially if you start talking about. The, the financial wins that you're having, right? You don't want to necessarily brag about them. But, you know, if you say, you know what? I paid off 25% of my debt this year. I feel amazing. That, making that kind of comment ha- can have a, a really great impact on your circle of friends and the people around you. When John and I went to FinCon for the very first year in 2015, we noticed this, but also several people said it to us we are the only out, we're the only out gay people talking about personal finance. That steered us in the direction and pushed us more towards coming out about who we were in our finances. Last, in 2019, when we went to the conference in Washington, D.C., we had an LGBT meetup and there were 45 people there if you feel like you are alone in trying to pursue what you want to do with improving your finances, you're not, there's a community out there. I don't care who you are or what you look like. There's a community out there. You can find that community online, find that community, immerse yourself in that community. It's, I I will say this, it is okay to lose friends if those friends are not adding to you're moving forward in your life, right? If people are holding you back, your circle of friends is holding you back. It's okay to say, I don't think that this circle of friends is the right circle of friends for me anymore.
0: I just did an interview with Kate Flanders who wrote a new book about opting out. And that's exactly what she says. You know, when you come to the conclusion that you need to opt out of behavior that's no longer serving you anymore, in your case, it was the spending and not paying attention to your personal finances, They're going to be people who try to bring you back to your old self. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with you. It actually has to do with them about their fears of who they are and losing you. And you're going to gain some friends and you're going to lose some friends. But probably those friends you gain are going to be more supportive of the true you. And I think that's what you're saying. Kind of like the name of this podcast to to move off of it is you have to earn and invest in yourself first, and then you earn and invest in others. And this idea that in DC, when we had FinCon, that there were that many people who came to an LGBTQ personal finance meetup is really cool. And that's a way that you can invest in this new community, which you've now formed, which has both aspects of yourselves and... It's been a real pleasure having you guys on the show. I'm going to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your lives and where can we find you online? John, tell us what's up next and where can we find you?
2: We are currently building out our 2021 campaign called Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke. We've spent about five years focused on the money side of that equation. We haven't really talked a whole lot about the lifestyle side of that equation. And especially because of COVID and people need to you know, have a, feel a little bit better about themselves, we're going to incorporate that into uh, uh, that the lifestyle into the money that side of the equation in 2021. And I think that's kind of it, right,
0: for 2021? Yeah. And David, where can we find you if you want to know more?
1: We are the Debt Free Guys on all social media platforms. Our website is debtfreeguys.com. And we are the host of the Queer Money Podcast, which is available on all of the podcasting platforms.
0: This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank David Otten and John Schneider of the Debt Free Guys and the Queer Money podcast. That's a wrap. You know, my conversation with the Debt Free Guys really made me think about fitting in. I have never felt like I fit in, at least not until recently. I remember as a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability when I was about seven years old, and I watched as my peers learned how to read, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't read the letters. I couldn't put the letters together into words, and I felt profoundly different, and that sense of feeling different... Continued through my life. After getting diagnosed with a learning disability, my father died soon after. And then I was different from my peers because I didn't have a parent. And I remember just feeling that sense of not belonging. I felt it in high school because my mom got remarried and we moved from the town that I grew up in to a neighboring town and I didn't know anyone. And then I went to college, and I went to the University of Michigan, and everyone was excited about football and Big Ten, and I had no interest. I went to the library, and I studied when everyone else went to football games. And even in medical school, when I was fulfilling my childhood dreams and learning how to be a doctor, I realized very quickly I didn't feel like I fit with the rest of my fellow medical students. I didn't have pride in calling myself doc or Dr. G. I didn't announce who I was or what I was doing when I was at a party or when I was meeting new people. And in fact, as I became an attending physician and started practicing, I rarely hung out in the doctor's lounge. And I even found myself not fitting in because I decided at some point that being a doctor was not all that I was about. And as I had more and more misgivings with my profession, it deepened the distance between me and my colleagues even further. I just didn't fit in. And this feeling of not fitting in is probably something I've had most of my life. I'll tell you when I did start to fit in. When I got interested in personal finance and financial independence, and I went to meetings and gatherings, places like the Camp Fi, Camp Financial Independence, and started talking to people about how finances allow us to pursue our lives, not the lives prescribed for us, not even the lives sometimes we thought we would have. Like Growing up, I thought being a doctor was going to be my life but more our true passion, maybe our true meaning and purpose. You see, because for me, what that meaning and purpose were was not being a doctor, but had a lot more to do with communication, with writing and podcasting and public speaking. I had never had the confidence to pursue those things when I was younger. In fact, I never even thought those were things that you did on a regular basis or for a job for that matter. I thought being a doctor is what I did, and those other things were side hobbies that I could spend a little bit of time on when it was available, but I certainly didn't build my life around them. But when I got into personal finance, I met a bunch of people, and for once, I really felt like I was amongst my own people, people I was comfortable with people where I didn't have to act or put on a charade or pretend I could just be myself. The conversation with the debt-free guys reminds me of this fact that there are two ways in which we really don't fit in sometimes in life. We are born into some of them. For me, having a learning disability, my father dying, those were things I couldn't control. They made me different But I had nothing to do with that difference. It just happened. And then there are our choices. The debt-free guys talk about their choice to start looking at their finances and live differently. And that made them different. My story at the beginning of the episode about my friends who all smoke marijuana and I didn't, that made me different. And as I've gone further in life, I realize my choices, more than who I am, often set me apart The choice to leave medicine did that. The choice to pursue financial independence. I mean, look, us crowd of people who are interested in finances is still by far the minority. This is not something that everyone else does. It also reminds me of my conversation recently with Kate Flanders about opting out. When we decide to let go of those things that don't serve us and pursue other things which do. These are making difficult choices, choices which make us different. Now, as I enter middle age, I probably realize that those choices that made me different actually, in the end, made me happier. But as a kid, it was hard to see that. It's only with age and some confidence and maturity that I can now accept that I can choose to be different from everyone else. And that can still be the right choice for me. And I think that's part of the message here at Earn and Invest. By having these complex conversations, what I hope to express to you is that you will make choices in life that make you different. And I think that's okay. I think it's fine not to be like everyone else. I think those choices are hard. I think they push us. I think they feel uncomfortable. But in the long term, they make us happier. They make us feel more like we're pursuing our unique purpose and identity and meaning. And that's what I think we want to do with our lives. That's the point of making all this money is that we can then make the decisions and free ourselves from money being the deciding factor. That's why we talk about personal finance. That's why we talk about financial independence. That's why I do this podcast, Earn and Invest, and that's why we continue this conversation with you, the community, to help you make those difficult decisions that make you different, but hopefully make you happier. Because after all, isn't that the goal? Awesome. Cool. That, that was fun. That was great. The most yeah. thoughtful
2: interview that we have had. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I I, I try to so this give you some background. I am actually a physician, and I Sorry. good. So I'm a do, I was a doctor in real life, and I found that I was no longer happy with work at being a doctor, and simultaneously, I discovered financial independence and realized that I probably had enough money to be just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of my transition was to kind of decide what to do with my life and a big part of that became focusing on something that I'd always loved and never put any time into which was writing, communicating, public speaking those kind of things and podcasting grew out of that so you said it was a thoughtful interview I kind of do this because it really drives me to find out what makes people do what they do and kind of what is their special message? And I, I really dig this idea of can I use my questions to pull out like the most interesting, cool thing about you and present it to the people listening? And so to yeah. me, it's it's a very deeply personal thing. Like I don't want to just ask you kind of a, so you have a podcast like that would be like the most inane thing I could do. I really want to draw out a real conversation that that means something.
1: Nice.
2: Yeah. Well, that was very cool. I enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: There was. um there was a podcast he's still a podcaster but his podcast changed um sean croxton hmm. um and he used to have a podcast called uh something sessions this i think it was called the sessions the he session. he um he stopped it um but because it became uh, a, a lot of work for him he needed to to slow down but he would do so much research and reading about the the guests um, on several occasions. The guests were shocked that he brought up stuff <laughs> that he that people were like, I didn't I didn't think that information was out there. Right. And there were several times when he brought up things in the, about people in their personal lives that they actually started crying because it exposed something that obviously they have strong feelings around that n- that most people didn't talk to them about, and uh, this kind of reminded me of that because you yeah. asked a couple of things, and I was like, wow, most people don't do this kind of research on us. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so that's it's so. important to me because I, I I truly do actually. You know what I tell people is the best compliment I can get. Is like when we're done with this, you can be like, "That was a lot of fun." Like, because you know, normally you go on a podcast, you're a little stressed. You want to make sure you sound good. Are they going to ask me good questions? Like, yeah. if I know that you came out of this thing, oh, that was thoughtful or fun or interesting, then I I feel like I did my job.